All right, well, this morning we will be finishing out in uh, chapter 12. I want to begin with uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It speaks about mystery. There's been a lot of mystery in, the, God, in, the, in the, the book of Daniel. A lot of things that have been said that some are understood, some are not understood. So about the mysterious things, Moses said this. Him who, who spent more time with God face to face than perhaps anyone. And he said this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. And so there are some things that are mysterious and will remain mysterious. But there are other things that are given to us and that are revealed that they might help us understand the works of the Lord. And so there are things that are revealed to us throughout the, the ministry of Daniel. To him, things in the past that have led us to where we are. And as we'll see today, some things yet in the future. It helped him to understand that Israel would be restored, that there would be a rising and falling of kings, that there would be a Messiah yet to come, and then as we'll see today, that there would yet even further in the future be a time of tribulation and a time of final resurrection. And so if you would please stand with me to honor the Lord as we read Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, and many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the Holy One comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of the time. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Well, chapters 10, 11, and 12 hold together as one uh, passage, and in chapter 10, we see what I uh, understand to be the Lord Jesus revealing himself to Daniel in a vision where he is above the Tigris River, and we'll see two other characters introduced into that vision here today. 
In chapter 11, which I wrote to you about in the newsletter this past week, there is a revealing of events and things to come from the time of Daniel up to about the time of Christ and then entering into yet another period because in Daniel chapter 11 verse 40, it begins a transition at the time of the end. Uh, something that is beyond where we are now is my understanding of what is happening in Daniel chapter 12. And in the first verse of Daniel chapter 12, we get into this uh, period of a tribulation. It says, there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since it was a nation till that time. There will be a period of great trial and struggle in the world. And this is not the only time. There's many places in the Bible where it talks about tribulation and especially the last tribulation. And there always seems to be a progression of events. As we see here and we'll see elsewhere in Matthew chapter 24, there is this abomination or a period of desolation, something terrible happening, and then a tribulation following that. And then there is the coming of Christ at the end of things. And so I would ask you to keep your finger in Daniel chapter 12, but also turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 is a, a passage that has many parallels to Daniel chapter 12, and it's Jesus talking about the end times and the end of all things. And it speaks of uh, some of what I just read. I'm going to read for us Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 31 to get a summary of Jesus' speaking about these things. Verse 15, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not, has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. Verse 22. If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So we have here this progression again of an abomination, something desolate, and then a tribulation, and then the coming of Christ. It's progressively spoken of and revealed as we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. 
It's my understanding with this abomination of desolation talk or this, these words that are used that there is a, a progression of fulfillment of these things. As I wrote to you last week in the newsletter, it's my understanding that that which is specifically spoken of in Daniel is fulfilled in 167 BC when you have the ruler Antiochus Epiphanes who takes over Jerusalem and actually sets up an idol of Zeus in the temple and starts sacrificing pigs on the altar at the temple in order to desecrate and defile the temple. And it becomes an abomination that is set up in the midst of the temple. And it's hard to not see that as a a portion of the fulfillment of these things. But also there is the desolation of the temple, the actual destroying of the temple in 70 AD, which is also a time of intense persecution of the Jewish people where they are run out and is similar to the language that Jesus uses here of people fleeing literally for their lives as the temple is made desolate and destroyed. But I also think there will be some other aspect of fulfillment of these words and of this concept, that there will be some great abomination, some great wicked thing that will kick off this last tribulation, where there will be a period of time uh, that there has never been in this world before of evil rising up in a terrible way. It will be cut short, as it says in this passage, for the sake of the elect, for the sake of God's people who are in the midst of this. For if it had gone on and on and on, it would destroy everyone in its wake. But the mercy of God on behalf of his people brings it to an end. And as it says in verse 29, immediately at the end of that, we have the return of Christ Jesus, the second coming of Christ with all his power and all of his glory. And in the midst of this, there is a refining. I would have you, uh, if you've got your hand back in Daniel 12, turn back to Daniel 12, because we'll see in verse 10, this idea of many purifying themselves, making themselves white, and be refined, or being refined. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but I want you to hold on to that. So we are warned over and over in the scriptures that the state of the world is not in a state of increasing godliness, but in a state of increasing ungodliness. We know that the world is a fallen place and is full of sin and evil. And as evil matures and grows, it has all kinds of terrible outworkings in the world. It's called a curse that rests upon the world. And that more and more people as the world progresses will fall away and will become apostate. And there will be greater violence and greater perversity and greater rebellion and deceit and all of these types of things. Until we enter into this period of tribulation which takes us all the way to the very end where the world reaches its final days and the Lord returns again. We should not expect for the world to get better and better. And it's something that is, is frustrating for me sometimes, and I want to try to encourage you this morning. I see a great many Christians that get incredibly frustrated when they see bad things happening in the world, sinful or evil things in the world. We should not, this should not surprise us that the world is evil and that evil things are happening in the world and that we will actually see a greater decline of evil things as we go on. 
We are praying against those things and we are striving to push back that darkness as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We seek revival, we seek awakening, but it should not alarm us that Christians are not a majority of the culture. It should not alarm us that the world doesn't follow after the things of Christ. We should expect instead for things to grow worse and worse until the end comes. And at that end, there will be a judgment. And at that time, the Lord will set things right. And there will be other things we'll talk about when we get to 1 Peter in some weeks to come. But what we see in this passage is the final resurrection leading to either eternal life or to eternal judgment. We're going back to Daniel chapter 12. The second part of verse 1 is about that. After this time of tribulation, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. And so for the first time, I believe, it's spoken of of a final resurrection. This idea that there will be a resurrection to eternal life as to those whose names are written in this book, and we'll look at that in just a moment, and the resurrection of those to judgment. And so it's this idea that all people at the end of things will be resurrected to some form of life. I want to be careful what I say about that because the scriptures are very clear that when we are separated from God, it's not actually life, it's death. But it is an existence that goes on for an eternity. And there are many ways in which this is spoken of in the New Testament. So I'm going to read a few of these to help you have a better understanding of this because what is unclear in the Old Testament becomes more clear as we look at it in the New Testament. When we turn to the words of Christ in John chapter 5, uh, Jesus speaks about this clearly. John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. Truly, Uh, Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear and the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so we have this scene, the same scene of of Christ Jesus being given the authority to judge. He who first came as a humble servant riding upon a donkey and, and being spat upon, coming back in power and glory as the judge of all the earth who is given this authority by God the Father. And there will come a time when there is a resurrection of both the good and the evil and they will stand before the throne of God and be separated unto eternal life or to eternal judgment. And before we move on from this passage, I want to say something to you about the gospel, because I want to make sure that as we go through these passages, that you don't understand me saying that people will come and have their works weighed in some scale. And if your scale tips a little bit to the good side because you had enough good works that you're going to be entered into heaven, that is not at all what is being said here. Because in John chapter 5, if you go back just one verse to John chapter 5 verse 24, This is a verse that is central to the gospel, one of uh, my grandmother's favorite verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes on him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. 
If we weighed the works of our life on a scale, not a single one of us would enter into heaven. What you need to understand and what you know in your heart, whether you have spoken it aloud or not, is that every single one of your works is tainted in some way by sin. In every single thing that you do, there's some aspect of pride, there's some aspect of greed, some aspect of lust, that everything that we do is tainted and that we need a a savior. We need someone to forgive us of our sins that we might by grace be able to enter into eternal life. And this is what the cross of Christ that we'll remember with these elements this morning, that Jesus bore in his own body on the cross our sins and our guilt that we might believe in him. And believing in him as savior, his grace is poured out on us and his righteousness is given to us. And that when we come before that throne one day and stand before that throne, we stand before him as a savior and not as a judge. And we are welcomed into his kingdom because of his work for us. And so we'll see some other passages about this. Let's turn us also to Matthew chapter 25. If you still have your finger there in Matthew 24, we're going to be going back and forth to this a lot. But as Jesus talks about the end times and things yet to come in Matthew 25, he begins to talk about this judgment as well in verse 31, Matthew 25, 31. Then the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And so we have this picture of judgment once again. But it's a personal, an intensely personal picture of this sea of people, all the people that have ever lived before the Lord God, but he is separating them one at a time. Just like every person that comes to salvation comes to salvation one person at a time. You don't come into salvation because you happen to be with this group of people or because your family, your parents were Christian parents or you have a Christian heritage. You come by what you believe and how you respond to the work of the Lord Jesus in your heart. But there will come a day when all stand before the Lord and he himself separates the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff, the believing from the unbelieving and they enter into either eternal life or into eternal judgment. And we see that again in verse 46 of that same section. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so one thing that we at least learn from this that is so important is that there is no such thing as annihilationism. Many people believe that because the idea of eternal judgment is just too terrible for them to contemplate. And so they come to a place of saying, surely those who die without the Lord must just vanish and just be no more. But you can't believe the scriptures and believe that because it says that those who are not in Christ will be resurrected and brought before this judge to be judged. And so hear me this morning under the sound of my voice, that the way of salvation is open to you today, that you might trust in Christ Jesus as your Savior, that you might confess your sins and gladly rejoice in the salvation of Christ and never have to face this terrible judgment. The way of salvation is open to you. This is why we go out and bear witness to the free gospel of Jesus Christ, to all that we meet, that they might know Christ as their Savior. Well, this is spoken of again. In Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, 
In Revelation 20:11, it says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, and each of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so this book that I believe is referred to in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, is this book of life. This idea that we are not saved by our works being weighed, but the works laid out. Imagine having to give an account for all of your life before a perfect holy God. And it would, it would terrify me because I know I'm a sinner. But if I have the chance to stand before Christ Jesus and plead the mercy of Christ and that my name is written in this book, which means that when I came to Christ, even before that, the Lord knew you and brought you to himself and your name is written in this book. And because of the work of the Lord to bring you to salvation, you are saved. And that is a cause for rejoicing. And that is our hope in the future that we do not have to fear standing before the Lord, but that we might receive grace and mercy instead of justice. And so it's a little picture of what is looking all the way to the future in the final judgment given to us here in the book of Daniel chapter 12. And many of those who are asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to eternal, to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It is a view of tribulation, judgment, and then eternal life or eternal punishment. You know, I think it's very important in our lives that we look to the end of things. When we don't look to the end of things and we're always caught up in the day and the issues right around us, we miss so many things. The Bible is always struggling to have us lift up our head and lift up our eyes and look to eternal things and not be caught up with the love of the things of this world. But if you are stuck on the love of the things of this world and your life revolves around trying to amass more stuff or reach retirement or go on more trips and heaven is something that you're not really interested in, it gives me great cause of concern for your soul, especially if you are older. One of the great markers, I believe, of those that are truly in Christ and those that are not is that the older that they get and the closer that they get to heaven, if they have no interest in heaven and would rather have more of the things of this world, it gives me great concern for their souls. Because those that are in Christ that grow older and older want to be in heaven. They want to see Christ. They want to depart from the struggles of this sinful life and be with Christ. And that is a joy and a hope of every believer. And something that when we read these passages, they don't cause us to mourn. They cause us to rejoice. Well, when this is finished in verse 4, it says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So these things are for the end. They're not for right now. They're for a time that is yet to come. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. My understanding of that is that there's a lot that's going to happen between now and then. There's a lot that's going to happen. A lot of people running around to and fro, and a lot of knowledge, a lot of books being written, a lot of, a lot of internet stuff going on. The knowledge of the world is going to increase before these things come to pass. 
But verse 5, these two characters are introduced, one on the near side of the Tigris and the one on the far side of the Tigris. And they ask the question. It's the question. The question that I guarantee one of you will ask me before we leave here today and that people always ask about these things. And what is the question? And it's not even introduced by Daniel because God anticipates our questions and then answers our questions in Scripture. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? When is this going to happen? That's what everybody wants to know. What's the timing of these things? And the answer to this is in verse 8. He who is there over the Tigris raises both of his hands and swears by him who lives forever. It will be by a time, times, and half a time. And Daniel says in verse 8, I don't understand what you're saying. And that's the same thing that you and I conclude from this. And many people come up with all kinds of different things about this. But at the end of the day, it is unclear what this means as far as what time, what the timing of the judgment and the return of the Lord are going to be. And that's for clear reason. We go back to Matthew chapter 24. This is the first question that the disciples asked Jesus. As Jesus begins to talk about the end time and how things are going to come at the end of the world, he says, uh, they say in verse 3, Matthew 24, 3, tell us this, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? They want to know, when is this going to happen? Everybody wants to know when this is going to happen. And Jesus goes on to tell them all kinds of things about the coming of the Son of Man and some that we have read, some that we haven't read. And he gets down to verses 36 through 51, which all focus down on Jesus' response to that question, which is mainly in verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. You cannot predict when the timing of the Lord is going to come. And why is that? Because we're lazy sinners. And if the Lord said it's going to be 500 years from now before I come, we would all pack our bags and go live a life very differently than with expectation that Jesus could come at any time and that we might die and enter into the presence of the Lord at any time. We are called by the Lord Jesus to live every day by faith and with expectancy and hope of heaven. And that drives our life and it causes us to always look towards Christ Jesus and hope for his coming. And so he does not tell us the timing of his return. And there are many people though, some I think with good motives, some with bad, that write books that will say, oh, I'll tell you exactly how all these things are going to unfold. Come buy my book and I'll tell you all about it. But the Lord God tells us that the timing of his coming is unknown. And so I affirm the scriptures that we see a pattern, we see a general progression of what is going to happen between now and the end, but we do not know the timing of this coming. And so Daniel asks another question. In verse 8, a follow-on question as he does not understand. He says in verse 8 of Daniel 12, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? So what is going to be the result of these things? How, what does this mean? And so the answer of the Lord to him I think is very interesting and, and profoundly important for us. He says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. My understanding of what that means is go live your life, Daniel. You have been given much of an understanding of who the Lord is and what he is doing in this world. I just gave you just a little bit more about what's going to happen in the future. But what I want you to do is to go and live your life. And in the Old Testament, we have many 
just pictures of people's whole lives. And the Old Testament's fascinating. You can turn one page to the next and 50 years passes or 100 years passes or a person's whole life passes and you hear just a few things about them and about their faithfulness or about their unfaithfulness to the Lord. And I believe that the Lord would have us also to hear from his word, be instructed by his word when we come to salvation in Christ that we then go and live our life for the Lord. That some of these things are shut up that we will not know until later, but it is for us to live for Christ in our time. And he says a little bit more about that. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. And so the struggle of seeking after the Lord and being refined by the Lord, this word is interesting. To be refined has to do with being made righteous through trial and through struggle and through being forced into dependence upon the Lord our God. This exact same word, Hebrew word of being refined, is used in this amazing verse, in this word picture given by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 48, 10, and 11 where God is talking about his people Israel and them being refined through the trials and struggles that he has brought upon them in discipline. He says, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. What a powerful picture, the furnace of affliction. And he says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? The idea of being refined in our faith and refined in our seeking after the Lord through affliction and struggle will come to us all. Some of you have already been through some great furnace of affliction where you were driven to your knees in prayer and you were driven to a place where you knew you were at the end of yourself and you had to trust fully and completely in the Lord and it stepped up your faith and it stepped up your hope in God in a way that it never had been before. Some of you are in that trial of affliction right now. You're going through something that's worse than you've ever been through in your life, and you're not sure how you're going to make it. And I encourage you, through that trial and through that great tribulation, to trust in the Lord, to be on your knees before Christ Jesus and ask for him to show himself and work in your heart in a way that he never worked in your heart during just good times. But why does he do it? As it says in verse 11, I do this for my own sake. And you say, that's odd. What does that, what does that mean? Well, I want you to understand that your salvation, which is not wrought by yourself and by your own good works, is for the glory of God. These pictures of us doing a, a greater part of what we did here today by singing the Lord, singing praises to the Lord Jesus, to speak well of him, to honor the Lord Jesus, we will be gathered with all those who have been redeemed one day around the throne of God. And we will worship him. And our salvation, which is for our good, will result in his glory. And so as the Lord brings refining struggles into our life and changes us to be more like Christ, it is for our good, but it is for his glory. Because when we come out the other side of these refining trials and struggles and enter into his presence one day, we will glorify him in a way that we never would if we had only walked in a life of ease. There's a reason why it's written in James chapter 1, verse 2, that we should count it joy when we go through steadfast trials. 
that these trials are meant to bring us to the end of ourselves and to make us long for heaven, not for more of this world, that we would be done with the struggles of this world and enter into the presence of Christ. Revelation chapter 7 speaks, I think, more specifically to this, this little vision or understanding given to us in chapter 10 that many shall purify themselves, make themselves white, and be refined in Revelation chapter 7, you have, a, and before that, you have this understanding that there will be a, a group of people called out from each of the tribes of Israel, brought into salvation, and those will join a multitude around the throne of God. It says, all singing and proclaiming that salvation belongs to our God. And as this glorious scene of worship is unfolding, there is one who asked, who are these clothed in white? Similar to what we see here, a clothing in white. And the answer is this. These are the ones that come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And it's my understanding that is the idea is that a group of people that have passed through this great tribulation and this great struggle and hardship and been saved out of it, and that there is something special about those people that went through this great difficult time and never forsook or turned away from the Lord Jesus. And through this trial, they are purified by the blood of Christ Jesus, and they are made into something that they were not before. It is out of trial into salvation and glory. It is by trial that our salvation is accomplished by Jesus Christ. There are many that teach that we will not uh, go through this, this tribulation. I understand that. There are many of you probably in this room uh, that don't agree with that. And that's okay. There are many Christians that disagree with aspects and timing of the way that the, that the end of things are going to come about. We'll see as we go through those things. I am compelled to believe this through what I understand the scriptures to teach, not only about the end times, but also about the necessity and the goodness of Christians passing through struggle. And as we pass through struggle, the Lord Jesus uses it to refine our lives. Those that teach you that the Lord would have you to avoid all struggle, I believe are teaching you a false gospel, that they're teaching you to seek after the ease and the, and the pleasures of this world, which, which will in fact carry your heart away from the Lord Jesus. But this is a bit given to us as to the progression of these things. But I want to take us to the end, because the end is, is beautiful to me. Because he could go on and on. He gives some more about the abomination of desolation and some days. And it's my understanding that this talks, again, about this pattern that we were talking about early of this abomination, tribulation, then the coming of Christ Jesus. And that something of this abomination after that, there will be these periods of days which equal about three and a half years and three and a half years for approximately seven years, that that could indicate the length of that tribulation. But where we end up, I think, is most important, and it's where I want to end today. Because Christ Jesus says to Daniel again, go your way till the end. Go live your life until the end of these things. And what it says, you shall rest, which means your death. Go your way until you pass into death. 
And every single one of us here will pass into death if the Lord Jesus doesn't come again. Every single one of us will face that fearful, difficult trial of passing from this life into the next and this salvation of God being accomplished in our lives. It's hard to see people die. It's a hard thing to think about facing death one day. But Daniel faced that and passed through it by the grace of God for this last few words. You shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. This is a beautiful thing. The idea of being called by God, believing in Christ Jesus as Savior, having your name be written in the the Lamb's book of life, and then entering into the rest of heaven and standing, taking a place that is given to you, allotted to you by God, that you might stand with the righteous in the last day. And I want to compare this to Psalm 1, uh, one of my favorite psalms. And it speaks about the righteous and the wicked, and it contrasts them. And the connection between these two verses is really powerful to me. Speaking of the righteous, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is speaking about the end of these things, these things that we have been talking about this morning, and the glorious reality of those in Christ standing together with the righteous, but the wicked not standing, but being swept away by the judgment. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, this is a a joyful thing to think forward to, that one day I want to stand with the righteous in glory before Jesus. And I do not want to be swept away. And it causes us to go and speak to others about the gospel, but it causes us to want to long to be with the Lord. I hope that you have a yearning in your heart for heaven and that you want to be found with the righteous one day, standing before the throne of God, glorifying Jesus, our Savior. I hope this has been helpful to you this morning in understanding some of these things and that if you don't know Christ, that you will believe in him today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you for this picture that is given to us of things yet to come. May it help us in this life as we go about our way this week, as we each go into our place of work and our place of working in the home or education or whatever it may be. Lord, may our hearts be fixed upon heaven and the salvation of Jesus Christ. May we long for that last day where we will see your face and we will pass from the things of this world into eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would bless and guide us and that as we go into a time of remembering the Lord's Supper, that we would remember the cross of Christ and that it would be our hope for the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.